Today I'm going to begin a kind of a sub-series. So we're still in the book of Galatians, and we're going to be in the book of Galatians for a little while longer. But we're going to be in a couple weeks drilling down and focusing in on here what we read, what Solomon read for us this morning, Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. The book of Galatians is all about our identity as Christians and our identity as a church, our identity as a people. In other words, it's all about politics, and it's all about identity. Now, you can see in chapter 3, verse 28, that Paul is interacting with the idea of being a Christian, having a Christian identity in contrast with some of the, uh, the binaries of the social order. Right? He says, in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek. In Christ there's neither slave nor free. In Christ there's neither male nor female, for you are all one together in Christ Jesus. So those were the binaries of the social order of that day. Right? Those are the categories and the ways that the social order split people up and, and helped us navigate so that we could get a sense of being right and righteous without reference to God. But what, are the, what is that for us? Right? It's not Jew and Greek. It's not slave and free. What is it for us? So we're going to be talking for the next couple of weeks about some of the different uh, political and social uh, binary options that we get, the zeros and the ones, the black and the whites, that we're segmented into. And we're going to think about those things from a Christian perspective, and we're going to think about how a Christian identity, how a Christian identity is in tension with them, is different from them. None of the ways that our culture wants to sort of segment us and categorize us are legitimate for Christians. So we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. But all of that conversation is going to flow out of what we're going to talk about this morning, which is the mirror. What's in the mirror when you look in the mirror as a Christian? And let me tell you what it is. Here, look at chapter 3, verse 27. Galatians 3, 27, As many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus have put on Christ Jesus. So you were baptized into Christ Jesus. You know what baptism is, right? That's being dunked all the way under. You're baptized into Christ Jesus, and you have put on Christ Jesus. This is a, a twofold depiction of our identity, a twofold depiction of really the, the call of discipleship as well. That we are being submerged into Christ, and then Christ is coming onto us. Imagine a soldier in uniform, completely soaking wet. What would you think if you saw somebody in very, a very clear uniform, absolutely soaking wet. You would say, you are clearly part of a group, a community that has a job. And you've clearly been on an interesting path and have an interesting story. And this is how we walk around in the world. In uniform, soaking wet. Baptized into Christ, and Christ has come into our lives. We've put him on. And so, we'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but... Kind of the big idea of this little sub-series is that our identity is defined by Jesus and by our relationship with Him. Our identity is defined by Jesus and our relationship with Him. We're going to start today with what that means. Our identity is defined by Jesus and our relationship with him means that our identity is defined by the truths of the gospel. The truths of the gospel are all the truths that are about who Jesus is, what he did, and what that means for us. Who Jesus is, what he did, and what that means for us. And understanding 
who the gospel makes us is going to be essential as we try to navigate the competing claims on our identity, the competing claims on our sense of purpose. Who are we and what are we here for? We need to understand what the gospel means for us. And the first thing to know about the gospel is that even though it is the answer to uh, every human's existential longings, the first thing the gospel was was an answer to Old Testament believers' prayers. The gospel was the answer to the people, uh, the people to whom all the promises of God came. The gospel is the fulfillment of those things. The gospel is the answer to the Old Testament Old Testament believers' prayers. And so Paul's, Paul's initial burden in Galatians, and what we're going to work on this morning, is to understand ourselves in relation to the Old Testament. Where do you fit in in the story of the Bible? This is, this is essential to what Paul's trying to get the Galatians to understand. And so that's what we're going to be working on this morning. Look at verse 29. Here's the answer that we're going to be unpacking for the rest of the morning. If you are Christ's, then Paul says you are Abraham's offspring. Or in other words, he's saying you are Christ's. If you are Christ, you need to understand about yourself that you're Abraham's offspring. You are Abraham's offspring. That sounds like a code word. That's blue with an underline. Let's click on that. What did that mean for them then? To be Abraham's offspring. Who was that? Answer that in your, in your own mind. When the Gentile Galatians heard, you are Abraham's offspring, who did they think that was? See, what Paul's saying is you are Gentile Galatians. You are true Israel. You are Abraham's offspring. You are true Israel. This is key to understanding what Paul's trying to do in Galatians. It's actually key to understanding the story of the New Testament and it's key to understanding what we are called to do today. So let's take that in chunks. We're going to look at the issue at Galatians, and we're going to imagine sort of conversing with Paul about this. So Paul, what's going on at Galatia? He would say initially this to the Gentile Christians. He would say, these uh, Jewish conflict entrepreneurs that we've been talking about, they believe that they are... Their identity, they are something that the Gentile Galatian Christians can only become if they are physically circumcised and observe the cultural norms of the Jewish people. That they have to be physically and culturally Jewish in order to be what these Jewish conflict entrepreneurs are. And what that thing is, is a real Jew. True Israel. Abraham's offspring. And they're throwing this in the face of the Gentiles, right? Remember what Paul says in Galatians 2.15? He says, we know that we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. There's a heavy, thick, uh, sarcastic tone there. He said, we are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. They're throwing this at the Gentile Christians, saying, we're Jews by birth. Who are you? They say, if you want to get in on what God's doing in Israel, then you need to become physically and culturally Jewish. But Paul says, Galatians 3.20, if you're Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring. What they're saying you're not, Paul says, that's exactly what you are. You are 
Abraham's offspring. You are true Israel. In fact, Paul's saying, those Jewish conflict entrepreneurs, those, those Jews are not true Israel. You are, they aren't. It's not like you are and they are, of course, because they're culturally and physically Jews. He's saying they're not. And you are. Because why? Because you have put your faith in Messiah. Paul proves this over Galatians chapter 3. Remember, he says uh, Jesus is the heir of the Abrahamic promise. Remember, he says not to seeds many, but to seed. And that seed is Jesus Christ. Jesus has received the Abrahamic promise. And so anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is brought into the Abrahamic covenant. And he says the Holy Spirit is proof of that. This is the apostles' message to the Gentiles who have put their faith in in the Messiah. The apostles' message is you have been brought in to the one people of God. There is one true people of God and you have been brought into it. Now some of you may be, this may be raising a number of flags for you. Like, hang on a second. Did the, this is some of the confusion that we've had, right? The, the relationship of the church, of Gentile Christians to Jews and Israel has been complicated and sordid for the last 2,000 years. And so there's been a lot of different ideas that have muddied this, this simple truth. So does the church replace Israel? Is God done with Israel and now he moved on to the Gentiles? Like he tried that, been there, done that, and now he's gone to something different? Or maybe is God's work with Israel just paused? Like that just needs to cool off and sit for a minute and God will re, you know, re-approach it in a little while, but in the meantime, he's going to work with a different group. Is that, are we replaced? Is there a big pause? There's a lot of confusion about this. So let's think about what is our relationship to Israel according to the Bible. And so we just saw that what Paul's trying to accomplish in Galatia is to convince Gentiles that they're actually brought into true Israel. And that ethnic and physical cultural Jews are not unless they too trust in the one true seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. So let's look at the story of Israel in the New Testament. Now I want you to imagine, rewind the, rewind the script a little bit here, and go to just before Galatians was written, just before Acts 15 and, and all that uh, Gentile stuff happens. You know there's actually 15 years between Jesus' ascension, between Paul's conversion, effectively, and the trouble about Gentiles. So let's, let's talk to Paul in that time. Say, Paul, tell us the story of Israel's relationship with, what is the gospel? What, what is uh, Israel's relationship to the, the, the new thing that God's done in Christ? He would say, I'm a Jew. Let's just start with that. I know that sounds really obvious, but let's just begin with that. Paul is a Jew. Paul is a Jew. You know who else is a Jew? Everyone else who's ever believed in Jesus so far. Everyone else is a Jew. And Paul says, we, me, all the apostles, the 12 apostles, those of you who are biblical numerologists, 12 is significant, right? Because of the founding of Israel, God's people, 12. So he says, me and all the other apostles, we believe and we teach that the gospel is this, that God kept his promises to Israel in Jesus. That's their gospel. That's the gospel of the New Testament. God kept his promise to Israel 
in Jesus. That's what Paul's saying when he says Jesus is Abraham's offspring. He is the heir according to the promise. So Jesus is the Israelite Messiah. He's delivering the salvation that was promised to the Jews. He's fulfilling the Jewish scriptures. He has received the blessing that was promised to Israel. Jesus is understood to be the Israelite king. That's what Messiah is. Jesus is the Israelite king ruling over the Israelite kingdom of God. Jesus is pouring out the spirit of Israel's God. This is the gospel and the gospel is Jewish. The apostles and Paul would say, the apostles in particular would say, we are true believing Israel. We are the renewed, restored people of God. And they would say, this is not, this is not a new thing. Even in the prophets, they were saying, in the Old Testament prophets, they were saying, not all Israel is Israel. The only people who are truly Israel are not those who are physically and culturally Israel, but those who are believing in Yahweh and in His Word about Messiah. That's true Israel. So Jesus reconstituted Israel, reconstituted them, made them new around himself, and he appointed 12 stewards, 12 apostles to oversee this new thing. You would have talked to those, those Jewish leaders, church planners, pastors, elders, deacons, throughout those years, they would have said, all our congregations are just Jews. The only disciples we make are Jews. All the babies in our nursery are Jews. We eat the Lord's Supper. And what's the Lord's Supper to them? They would say it's the new covenant. It's the renewed covenant that God promised He would do. A renewal of the Abrahamic covenant, but now from the perspective of it having been fulfilled in Jesus. They're celebrating the fulfillment of Abraham's promise here in the new covenant. And you know what they called their gathering? They called themselves, when they would gather, were the called out ones which in Greek is ecclesia, which in Roman is church. So for 15 years, for over 750 weekend services, it never occurred to any Jews that this message was for the Gentiles. It was 100% only Jewish. And then God wakes Peter up. And you remember how that went when, when God calls Peter and says, hey, I want you to share the gospel with Gentiles. What does Peter say? He says, no. <laughs> if you ever said no to God, you have, you have good, leg, good pedigree in the Bible. Moses was a big naysayer. Uh, Peter, a couple of my heroes anyways. God wakes him up again. Gentiles are coming in, Peter. I need you, as one of the leaders of the church, to, to spearhead this operation. Peter, no. Third time's the charm, though. Why? Why? Because, listen, the Jewish people had been too excited for 15 years for almost a thousand Sabbaths. They were too excited that God had, he had done it. In answer to our whole heritage, he'd, he'd done the thing. 
And then in Acts 10, God mixes it all up by bringing Cornelius, a Roman centurion of all people, the oppressor, brings him in to the church. And this kicks off the first big internal controversy that we see in Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, and in the book of Galatians. This is what Galatians is in part in response to. And the question is, what do we do with the Gentiles who want salvation from our Messiah? Now the very common sense, natural response would be, which was the, the most popular one, was that, oh, that's awesome. They just need to become Jews and then they're more than welcome. You just need to become physically and culturally Jewish and then come on in. What did the, what did the apostles say though? The apostles said, Messiah, Jesus, wants them to wants to receive them into his people, into us by faith alone. Big fight, right? But the apostles were very clear. There's only gonna be one people. This is a crucial link here, guys. One people. And we're going to be defined by our faith in Jesus, not by our culture, not by our, any physical characteristics, our ethnicity, our nationality. We're going to be one people defined by faith in Jesus. The early church understood themselves to be a renewal of true Israel, a reconstitution of the thing that had been existing since the prophets, since King David, all the way back to Abraham. And they understood that there's only one people of God. Galatians 3.29 If you are Christ's, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Turn with me just a few pages over if you've got your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to read you a little bit of a longer description of this this same story, but I want you to hear it again. Ephesians chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 11. Now you'll notice again, who is he talking to here? He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh. So that's all Galatia, that's all Ephesus, that's all Philippi, that's all Palmyra, Eagle, Maguanago, that's all of us. Remember that you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, quote-unquote, by what is called circumcision. Paul's being a little snarky there. Anytime you got air quotes in your Bible, right? A little snark. The circumcision, that's made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Messiah alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both, what? Say it, one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself, what? One new man in place of two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in what? One body 
through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and preached to those, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul uses a metaphor for this in Romans chapter 11. He says, imagine that the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, God's one true people, is like an olive tree. An olive tree. An olive tree in the courtyard of God that's been cared for and watched over and cultivated. He said, but some of the branches died because they didn't believe when God came in Jesus. And so they've been broken off. And in their place, he says, shoots from a wild olive tree, which is us, band name, the wild olive tree, get grafted, (laughs) that we get grafted in. Into what? Into Israel. Into the cultivated, cared for, close people of God. Shelly, don't worry about it. It's all right. There is only one true people of God. And we've always been defined by faith in Messiah. Go back to Adam and Eve. Go back to Seth. Go back to whoever you want to look back to. One people of God defined by faith in the promise of God that would be Messiah. Now I know that because of the confusion and misunderstanding that has surrounded this subject, that there are some who feel very deeply about this topic, about the relationship between Israel and the church. And I sort of wanted to avoid talking about this. But this is what's going on in Galatians as well. The, book, the issue at Galatians is that people there felt so deeply about how important cultural and ethnic Judaism was. So important, in fact, that the gospel really did not affect the superiority of the Jews over everybody else. And that Gentiles had to become physical and cultural Jews that they wanted to be in on what God was doing in Christ. To which Paul says, If you are Christ, you're Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. Friends, if you believe in Jesus, you are true Israel. Now I'd like to talk for you a moment before we conclude about why this is significant. It's important to know your people, isn't it? It's important to know where you're from. remember reading in a book... There's a description of the people of Wales. Griffiths is a Welsh name. And uh, they're talking about the people of Wales and how everybody knows just how obstinate and how quick to rebel the people of Wales are. And I was like, oh, those are my people. <laughs> like, that explains it, you know? And we see this sort of, uh, we, we see this sort of resurgence right now that the, the technology's gotten good enough for DNA testing. And, and probably we all know somebody whose life was kind of upended or, or somehow made clear by a DNA test, like, oh, now I understand why. I never felt this way, and I always felt that way, and now I understand this. It all snaps into place. 
Our DNA, our, our people matter. Who we are. Last week we talked about how the, the whole thing is ours, meaning the promises. Right? All the promises of God, all given as an inheritance to Abraham's offspring, which is Jesus, and given to us in him. This week what we're saying is that the whole thing is ours in reference to the legacy of faith, the heritage that we have in Scripture, and our identity as Messiah's people. Friends, we are, we are Messiah's people. We are Messiah's people, and that means that the front lines of Messiah's kingdom are at our toes. What God's doing in the world is not somewhere else. What God's doing in the world is you and us. Last week we talked about how there seems to be this sort of historic and maybe especially acute uh, these days here in America or something, some sort of fixation on all things Israel. And that unhealthy fixation has allowed many Christians to imagine that doing anything for Israel was better than doing something for your neighbor. But what changes if we are God's people, if we are true Israel, if we're Messiah's kingdom? You know, what does a pray for Israel mean if we understand that the message of the apostles to the Gentile Christians is that you're true Israel? That means... Pray for us. Pray for your life. Pray for awakening and salvation and discipleship and maturity of those who are with you where you are. You know, I think a lot of us look at the Bible and we feel, we feel uncomfortable with ourselves in relation to the heroes of faith. You know, we look in the mirror, maybe, or we, we think about ourselves, rather, and we think, I, I wish I was better than I am. I wish I was somebody different than I am. If only I were, or if only I had, and then maybe I'd be able to do this or that. If only my life were, were, were different, if only my life were more meaningful. I mean, surely God is doing something important with somebody somewhere else, but not me, not my life. And Paul says... Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. It's you. And what he's telling the Galatians is, is what he wants to say to us. That it's not okay for us to wish that we were someone else doing something else somewhere else. Who we are and what we have in Jesus is everything that we need to be his people here and now. And friends, boy, does this world need... Messiah's people? I feel like this has played in a little bit to what is a, a general cultural trend in the West to, uh, to stay or remain or idealize immaturity, irresponsibility, narcissistic, self-involved, carefree living. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to dictate anything in my life. And this has played into this. We get to kind of just do our thing because God's doing something with Israel or God's doing something important somewhere else. But we're Israel. We're it. Our identity is defined by Jesus and our relationship with Him. 
Friends, if, if we are Christ's, and we are Christ's, then we need to know that we are Abraham's offspring. Just let me give you some good news and some hard news as we close. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. Here's the good news of what this means. The good news is that Hebrews 11 is our heritage. The hope of the heroes of faith is our hope. And the calling of the heroes of faith is our calling. Their strength is our strength. And their God is our God. Hebrews 11 is this glorious this glorious book full of heroes of the Old Testament. Our people. Seth, Abel, Abraham, Noah, Moses, Sarah, Joseph. And we come to verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something far better for us. So that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Their, their faith, their hope should not be completed until it was given to us. And now we have it. This is our heritage. Their hope is our hope. But here's the uh, hard news, which is that their calling is our calling. Friends, if we're true Israel, if we're the people of God, if this, if us is God's plan, then this, this is it. It's us. Friends, you and I are not substitutes for Israel. We are not something else or something also. We are the thing itself. We carry the light. We carry the knowledge of the glory of God across this world. One of the commentators I read said this. He said, this is the message for the, that Paul has for the Galatians. You stand tall. You stand tall. You have been baptized into Christ. You've been clothed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the great, the great inheritance that we have received in Christ Jesus. We thank you that, Lord, we could never have had any hope of obtaining any part of that. And yet, through the work of Jesus Christ our Lord, and by your grace, we have obtained all of it simply by trusting in him. Holy Spirit, I pray that as you bring the Father's love into our hearts through this word, 
I pray that you would, with that love, fill us with courage. Give us clarity to see what you have called us to do, to see who you have made us to be. Strengthen us according to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.